The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye'sMike.com. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season. This show is a special one. Featuring a roundtable discussion with our regulars, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, along with John Patchett and me. We'll review Iowa's great victory over Minnesota in the Metrodome. We'll look back at the entire regular season, and we'll look ahead to next year's team. And we'll talk about Iowa's game against South Carolina in the Outback Bowl on New Year's Day. And also, we'll look at some of the other bowl matchups and talk about the BCS. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments by calling 866-74-HAWKS. And broadcast school has really paid off. Today's Hawkeye's Mic program is made possible in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. It contains no alcohol and actually moisturizes hands while protecting you and your family. Go to www.prefence.com. Prefence Botanicals Hand Sanitizer is now also the hand sanitizer being used by the Iowa men's and women's basketball teams and the defending NCAA champion Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling team. In our first segment, Marv and Pat review Iowa's dominating win over Minnesota. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about the Minnesota game. Did anybody see that coming? Not me. Uh, I mean, I, it was just an amazing way to end a, a great tradition up there in, the, in playing inside in the uh, Metrodome. And, you know, obviously Iowa was able to get the running game going. I mean, at the end, the end of the game, the score is a little bit misleading because the first 25 minutes of that game were actually pretty close. Minnesota had a couple of plays to go against them. And it was actually a pretty, you know, tight ball game at times. But then just the complete dominance by Iowa's running game and, and then the defense was just amazing. I mean, to see that kind of number up, is, I mean, that's going to be a legendary game that will go down in, in history. That's the biggest margin of victory for Iowa ever, I think. I obviously didn't see it, being that I picked Minnesota to win the game like a, the Einstein that I am. I, I just thought that the emotion would work too much against Iowa, but I didn't realize that Minnesota, they like Marv was saying, they were very physical and very emotional at first. And I noticed early on they were actually doing a lot of smack talking, and there was a lot of talk going on. And the teams were warming up, but the Iowa players seemed to ignore it all. Where the Minnesota players were working hard to get the fans going, but then when Iowa punched them a few times, it just seemed like midway through that second quarter, you could just see the, their whole sideline just deflated and at that point on it was just Iowa just went for the kill with a running game and I just didn't think they'd be that that dominant I didn't think it'd be that one-sided and I, it wasn't 55 nothing but from midway through that second quarter on Minnesota they weren't able to do anything you sort of in those kind of games we were talking earlier you see that kind of uh, you know things aren't going your way when your own player runs into you on a punt reception and now also though, I think <laughs> I think Bernstein Jordan Bernstein caused that though he pushed if I'm not mistaken didn't he? I think he pushed that Minnesota player into, into the player, which I believe is legal the way he did. The, the ref was right there, and he sort of caused that a 
little bit. So, I mean, that was a good play, and yeah, it was just one of those days. And Minnesota couldn't run the ball either, which just seems so weird to say Minnesota can't run the ball. They haven't been able to run the ball all year, and if you can't do that, defenses just load up. What, as a player, were you ever in a game like that on the on either side? I mean, what happens to uh, Yeah, when we played Northwestern a few times, but uh, <laughs> uh, we threw the ball more in those games than we did running it. But, uh, I mean, it just sometimes it's just steamrolls, you know, and, and you get two or three bounces your way, and then it just kind of everything starts falling into place a little bit, and, um, you know, the, the, that's what kind of happened. And, and, and it's a testament to Iowa and, and how good they are and, and how well they execute and took care of business that they were able to to do that. I mean, that, you know, you got to be a good team. you got to execute. you got to play well. you got to eliminate turnovers and penalties to get that kind of performance and that kind of result. So, obviously, they played extremely well. Do you think there's anything a coach can do about that? From a trying to stop it? Yeah, or, I mean, anything different in preparation? Or is that just something that sort of unfolds in the game and it, you're looking at it and saying, what happened? I think a lot of times, it, you know, matchups, you know, you, as you get into the course of a game, if, you know, if our offensive line is just that much more physical and that much more dominant, I mean, it kind of becomes a game of percentages where you're just going to, you know, things are going to start happening. And, and, you know, I think that's where we just outman them up front, offensively and defensively. And if you have that type of an advantage, you're just going to eventually just kind of keep chopping at their legs, chopping at their legs, and eventually they're going to fall over. And that's kind of what the results were. I mean, you talk, Pat, I know you predicted the Gophers to win that game. I actually thought Iowa would win at a close game, but sure expected more out of Minnesota's offense than you saw. Well, I just expected more out of just the whole circumstance. I thought that they would rally behind the last game at the Metrodome, and it, they were 7-4. and four. It's not like this was a 1-10 Minnesota team or whatever. They had beaten, they won at Illinois, and I just thought this would be a game that their coach, who's supposedly known as a master motivator, would get them ready for but they obviously weren't and I just I guess I overlooked the, their absence of a running game and when you can't run in a game like that you just don't stand a chance and Iowa did they were just clicking and other than their kick I think it was their kickoff coverage it's been so long now their kickoff coverage was about the only thing where they struggled on but then Minnesota like Marv said Iowa was just way more physical up front on both sides of the ball and eventually that just dictates everything. And what the players were saying after the game and the coaches I mean were they as surprised as we all were? Well Ferentz is always Ferentz is always so careful not to criticize an opponent or downgrade anything that they do and he but he said he goes he never expected it to go like that and he kind of said what Marv said about how it wasn't quite as the score was a little misleading because the game was very competitive early on and he did his usual praise for Minnesota but yeah I don't think any of the players thought it would come I mean I they were having a lot of fun in that second half. I usually up at the Metrodome now, you got to go all the way to the end, and it's a close game or whatever. And there's been some games. I remember back in 98, Hayden's last mm-hmm. game, how depressing that was. And then to have this nine years later, it was kind of ironic. But it can go both ways. But I don't think those players expected to be joking around and the starters expected to be out for most of the fourth quarter. That was probably a surprise. As a, as a player, were you ever on the losing end of one of these? I don't think so. Why well, not that I can recall, not in college. Yeah, definitely not in college. Can you tell when you're out on the field in a game like this when things start to go south for the other team? I mean, is there? can you see it in their faces, or do they do less trash talking? Well, it becomes a scrimmage is what it becomes. It becomes a intense practice is what it becomes. I mean, there's no, yeah, the chatter goes way down. The Yeah, it's not a... 
it's not a fun time. The crowd, you can hear crowd noise, you know, because you can actually hear crowd noise because it's just people mingling and talking and they're not like screaming and yelling and, and as much as normal. So it, it gets, the atmosphere definitely changes when you, you, know, you start getting 25, 28, 35 points ahead in the game. So, and you want to be on the top side of those numbers versus the bottom side for sure. I remember Kirk talking going into the game in the pregame press conference about, and a lot of the reporters about the combination of Weber and Decker. And Weber certainly struggled, but Decker didn't even look like he wanted to be playing in that game after the first quarter. No, he didn't. And I, you got to give the Iowa defensive backs. Spivey and Fletcher both did a good job. They just did a nice job in all areas of coverage. And that's one area I think I've been kind of impressed with I, is they've had physical play from their cornerbacks this year, and they've got decent-sized cornerbacks. And I think that really helped. With Decker, he's a little bigger. Every time I look, Bradley Fletcher was right there with him. And I think after a while, that just... Plus, Weber didn't have a lot of time to throw either. I mean, Mitch King and Kroll were in there, and it wasn't a typical Minnesota offensive line. It was, it was just once Iowa got rolling, it was just a physical mismatch. Well, it's hard to find much to criticize here. Focusing on the offense, just another great performance by Sean Green. What else is there really to say about him, and can you talk a little bit about the backup performance by Jewel Hampton? Well, Jewel Hampton's probably costing Sean a visit to New York, because I figure if Sean had those 500 yards or whatever, which he very easily could, I mean, the way the season's gone, he could have kept him in. He'd have 2,200 yards and 20-some touchdowns, but I think in the long run, it's great what they've been able to get out of Jewel, because now next year, everyone's going to be writing about they don't have Sean Green, but they have this kid, and he ran for a lot of yards, and they used him in crunch time, too. So, yeah, the offensive, this is as good as I can remember the running game being in all the years I've covered Iowa football back to 92. I know the 95 team was Cedric Shaw when he ran for about 14 yards. I never remember him being this dominant, though. Well, it, it, it's a different type of running game, too. I mean, even when we had, you know, Robert Gallery and Steinbach and, and Porter and, and, and Sobieski and those guys with Fred Russell, I mean, it was more scatty. This is a power, physical lineup and just impose your will on the other team. And then Sean Green with him, you know, that spin move he's got and, and the ability to make guys miss. And But it's more of a physical, dominating. And, and you know, you talk about the offensive line, but I'm going to tell you, Myers, the tight end position has been an unbelievable player for him. You know, with Moyaki being, being in and out of the line, up so much. I mean, that kid stepped up, and I think he's helped, uh, you know, Stanzi immensely in the passing game, but then just from his run-blocking presence, uh, just like an extra tackle almost at some points is with, with his ability to handle the outside linebacker. So, yeah, but, you know, I mean, Sean got nicked up a little bit. I mean, you're a big physical back. You get hit every single play. You know, we've talked about numerous times that running back and linebackers have to be the baddest people walking the planet when you play football. And, and uh, you know, I mean, obviously Sean got nicked up a lot of times during the course of the season, and it was great to see Hampton get some quality, quality reps, and he's going to be ready for next season if Sean Green does decide to go pro. Did Green surprise you with the, I mean, we know he's tough getting through the line of scrimmage with not a very big hole, but he really, in several games, showed a lot of speed downfield. He was outrunning defensive backs. Yeah, I mean, he had some great highlights, you know, high-stepping and pulling out of tackles, and you know, guys that, you know, I mean, you try to find a chink in their armor, they're, you know, they're short and squatty, and and there's just not a lot of surface space to to get good shots on. It's kind of the Barry Sanders situation, you know, and, and they just are shifty enough to make guys not get clean shots on you, but but his ability to, you know, just get in there, keep pressing the pressing the line of scrimmage, and then finding the crease and coming out the other side, and then when you come out the other side and you're looking at the safety or cornerback, they get tired of seeing that, trust me, so I mean, it's just, a, it, you know, things kind of really fell into place, just, the, the, you know, the mentality that, you know, let's get better every single day, and I think Sean Green did that as well, because he had to get back to game speed and game shape, and uh, you know, 
once he did about week five or six, I mean, that's when they really started to hit their stride a little bit. Is he as good as any running back you played with? You know, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's funny because he's different than anything we've had. Owen Gill maybe was a physical kind of back like that, but Cedric Shaw, Tavian Banks, some Tony Stewart, some of the other backs that we've had that have had 1,000 yards Harman, rushing. Ronnie Harmon. Yeah, Ronnie Harmon. They were more scatty, more make guys miss. Uh, you know, Fred Russell was a make, make you miss kind of guy. You couldn't see him. Yeah, but Sean Green is a, you know, line up and just pound you, you know. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's different from what we've seen at Iowa in the typical running game. He's also as about the most low-key, non-trash-talking player on the team almost. He doesn't really need the media attention. He's made that obvious. He's not been rude, but he doesn't. There's a lot of players you can tell when they show up for those Tuesday, they love it. They like the attention. He could take it or leave it. He's no different now than he was when he was playing third team behind Albert and Damian. I kind of respect him for that. And he's, he, What we see is what he is. They say that he's not putting on a front. He's just not real comfortable having the focus on him, and he's always talking about his teammates and what have you. And It was kind of refreshing to see that. And I think the thing that really surprised me this year was how well he did the little things. You notice they never had to take him out on passing situations because with Damien and sometimes even with Albert, they, they couldn't get the... Sean picked up the pass blocking schemes and I guess they're very complicated at this level. I'll never forget the, the block he made on the blitz against Penn State that kept that drive alive because he was able to complete the pass to DJK and what have you. And I think he only fumbled twice this year. With the way he runs, that's the other thing that's amazing. I mean, he, he took a pounding every time, but he was able to hold on to that football for the most part. Is there a better running back in the country right now? Not in college, I wouldn't. I think you could argue. I mean, you could look at Sean Marino and say there's more ability there, there's a better upside or whatever, but for what he's doing each week and what he's done, I can't see think anyone's better than Sean right now. Yeah, I, you know, for, you know, you say top end, you know, pro, you project pro or whatever, I mean, maybe there's some guys that you can say are going to be better pro backs, but for somebody that fits what the team's trying to do, no, there's no one better. I mean, he, he brings, and we see it in the highlights, is when you bring the power that he brings as a defender, when you try to attack him, you got to meet power with power, but then he's got that little spin move that can just make you look horrendous. You know, I mean, it puts you on the, you know, the six o'clock ESPN, you know, the first three minutes of ESPN, because he can make you look incredibly bad. Uh, with his ability to, to mix the power game with the finesse game. Incredible. Had an incredible year. He's done it without the presence of a real good passing attack. No knock on the... But a lot of the running backs back in your day, they had you had to watch the passing attack, too. There was so much balance. That, that game this year where Stansy threw for 72 yards, and they won. And that's to me, that's another tribute to the offensive line and to Sean. You and, and Sean have talked this year in a couple of shows about how the offensive line feeds off of Green and Green feeds off mm-hmm. the offensive line. I've never thought about it this way, but do you think the defensive line and Iowa's defense in terms of its ability to shut down every running game we've faced, whether that factors into them too, they see how good Green is doing and they don't want anybody to ever do any better than him? Well, I, I think, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know if it's, if it's that, but each team develops an identity, you know, and I, and I think this team, in my opinion, it's about the 11, you know, they, they're going to play their best 11, not their 11 best players. They, and I think Offensively and defensively, they put their best 11 out there, and they've developed the mindset that you know what we're not we're not good enough yet. I mean, there's a kind of I don't say it's a chip on their shoulder, but they they play with the attitude that they're going to get better every snap, and it's they're hungry for it, and they contest every square inch on that football field, offensively and defensively, and and, and you get a scrappy group, you know. And I think the, the the power game that the offense has is just kind of it's Kirk Ferentz's we're square peg guys, I and mean, that's what we when we're successful. 
we run the ball. And when we have square peg players, we're going to be a, a good football team. And, and it, that's who we hang our hat on. That's who we are. We don't, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're not going to change who we are or our stripes. And when you have that mindset and that, that attitude, then you go out and that's, that's where you hang your hat. And we're a physical football team. And that's why it's, you see it on both sides, the offensive line and the defensive line. Yeah, pretty amazing because the Big Ten was loaded with lots of certainly very good backs, if not excellent backs. And, you know, Green was kind of later in the season where he started getting the, the same kind of publicity that Javon Ringer was getting earlier. But if you look at Ringer, who had, I don't have the stats. He had five games of, where he didn't yeah. rush for 100 yards. Well, yeah, plus, and he and he rushed, he had like a, an extra 80 or 100 rushes. I don't know what the exact number was. More than Green had. And Green still way outrushed him. Yeah, no, Sean was by far the best back in the, I mean, I would think probably the Penn State Royster would be my second choice for the second best back. I mean, Ringer had nearly half his schedule where he didn't rush for 100 yards. Well, it's probably Stansy's best game as Iowa quarterback. Clearly. I mean, he showed surprising mobility. I never thought he'd be able to get away from some of the rushes that he did avoid, and he showed some touch. He showed some leadership and some poise, and I've been kind of rough on him this year because there were times where I thought he, you could argue that he cost them a couple games this year with just his carelessness with the football, and I, it was times during the season when you asked yourself, there were so many times I remember Hayden saying, if we just had a strong defensive line and a good running game, not, that's all we need, you know, but because Hayden always had a decent quarterback for them. I think he took it for granted, but this year early on, you saw when you don't have stability at quarterback, it can really cause things to go south, but then finally he picked it up, and by this game he showed that gives you some encouragement going into the bowl game now. He needs to keep it going, because I think he's doubted himself at times this year too, and he was thrown into it, and obviously with Jake, he wasn't getting any better, and they had to make a change, and now they can at least stretch the field with Stanzi. You know, I, I, young guy, you know, you, it's Wisconsin saw this when you play a new quarterback, you're going to make, no matter how phenom they are, how great they are, they're going to make mistakes. It's the little things. You, you may understand an offense schematically. Okay, we got the you know the shallow cross with a dig behind it. But when you start understanding, okay, I got to move this defender with my eyes to get that open behind it. And, and early on when he made mistakes, he was locking on guys. I mean, he was, you know, trusting Myers too much and he would look right at him and then he would throw into double or triple coverage and, and that's when he'd make mistakes. But I think now he's starting to understand, okay, if I'm gonna go to Myers, I gotta be looking over here first. I gotta take the snap, I'm looking over here, draws him over, and now Myers is coming out of that stick route and now I can bang it on him, he's gonna be wide open. You know, and I think the play action obviously helps with that. And, and, and you know, our, our passing game, when our running game's going, trust me, our passing game is like stealing because when you've got 11 guys watching Sean Green, trust me, things are going to be open behind it. And so based off the running game, we get the running game going. Then, but, but he does, he is, I'm telling you, he has done a great job. You talked about throwing with touch, throwing with some zip when he has to, uh, and then just the leadership qualities. I mean, having, you know, having 11, our best 11, and everybody knows the guy next to you is, is the guy and he's going to get it done. And that's what, what they got right now. And that's the kind of leadership that stands he's been bringing the last five or six games. And, and uh, I mean, obviously this is, you know, they're ending the season on a, extremely high note and got a great challenge to go ahead of him, but it's, he's just going to get better and better and better. I want to talk about that a little bit later, about the team as a whole, but especially the last three or four games, he looked just very level. You know, he, he stands, he never gets very excited, except at the end of the Penn State game. He never gets, you know, very down on himself. He looks, you know, he just looks very businesslike out there. And he, as a fan and not as an expert, at least he looks like he's not afraid to stay in the pocket until the very last second. And then he's, somehow he gets out of those near sacks, much, you know, whereas Jake, and I don't want to criticize Jake necessarily, 
necessarily, but you know, Jake looked almost like he was trying to get out of the pocket first, where Stanzi looks like he's trying to stay in there as long as he can and then only get out of it when he has to. Is that accurate? No, I, mean, I think, you know, if you have a concept of, of when guys are going to be coming out of their breaks, you can hang in there knowing, okay, he's coming out. If you know where the guy is going to be and you got faith in the receiver that he's going to be here, you can hang in there that extra half a second because you know, okay, he's coming, I'm going to wait and then I'll get rid of it, I'll get hit, but it's fine. You know, and and I think the, the other great thing is, is offensive line, Pat talked about how well they're playing. If you have one guy coming at you, you can make one guy miss. When you have two or three, there's no play. I mean, they 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 com, you know they compact that pocket, and there's no way to get out. And and so when you just have one guy coming free, you know, a quarterback can see that, make him miss, still create an extra second or so, and then find the open guy. And I think it's to the offensive line's credit a little bit too that when they you know when there was a mistake, it was usually just one guy. Quarterback's able to make him miss, find you know find it, get it out. So, but you know, it's it's a combination of of, of all those things. And and the you know the thing that I like is he can make all the different throws. You know, as a young quarterback, that's pretty impressive. I mean, those shallow crossers, the drags, when you got to put a little touch on, get it out over a flat defender, he can make that. But then when he's got to drive the, the comeback on the outside, he can drive it in there. And uh, so he's got the ability to make all his different throws. And, uh, you know, like I said, just the progression, you, you go back and watch him against Pitt and, you know, some of those early games to where he's playing now. I mean, it's like night and day. His progression has been incredible the last eight, nine games. Do you think that has anything to do with? I mean, you stand next to him; he's a legit six four. That's what I was just waiting. I think being six four, Jake so often had to try to find passing lanes just to be able to throw the ball. In this day and age, you can't have a five foot eleven quarterback who's not mobile. I mean, the only way if you're five eleven, you got to be able to run. He didn't have that option either, and defenses knew it. And he just and he didn't throw a very accurate. I mean, he, he some. What I like about Stanty's ball so often it's a catchable pass. It's soft, and it, whereas Jake, lots of times the five yard down and out, boom, he throws that as hard as he. Throws throws the 30-yard fly pattern. It just seemed like there was always a, a panic mode with him, and he was always looking for a passing lane because he was so short. And I think with Stanzi, you got him in there. He was able to stay in the pocket, see things a little better, and he didn't always, once he got comfortable, he, like Marv said, he would check down, and he didn't always have to make the spectacular throw. You, you can throw the ball out to the guy five yards out, and he can. next thing you know, you got an eight-yard pass play. You do that twice, you got a first down, the drive keeps going. And once he got over trying to force the ball into certain things and telegraphing his passes, he was a lot more efficient and I still think it helped in the fact that they didn't need him to win a lot of games this year. They just needed him not to lose games. You hate to play the what-if game. We could do that all day, but we talked with you, Pat, earlier about what if the coaching staff would have made the decision to just try to go with him from the outset and he would have gotten through maybe some of those mistakes that he made later in the close losses in the main game in the Florida International when they would have probably won anyway. You know, I mean, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, we've talked about it. I mean, I think the schedule set up perfectly for him because each game incrementally got a little bit more difficult, a little bit more intense, a little bit more speed, a little bit more talent on the field. And so there was a progression there that, you know, reps would have made it a little bit of difference, but, you know, there's nothing like lining up and playing in Illinois. There's nothing like lining up and playing Penn State. Every experience was going to be new to him, whether he took 25 snaps or 50 snaps versus, you know, a main team. So, you know, it's just that's the, what you get when you play a young quarterback. They're going to make mistakes. Chris yeah. Leak, you know, is a phenom coming out, still made freshman mistakes. Do you think that they legitimately didn't know who their starter should be at the outset of the season, or was that more a matter of the coaching staff? And you're a coach now. It seems to me like sometimes they're stubborn on personnel decisions. But was that the coaching staff trying to give Jake just the last extra chance to? I think it's. I think it's, you, you, you go with what you know versus what you don't know. The unknown. 
the known versus the unknown. And I think they felt like they had a good enough. Ch I'm, I'm assuming they probably felt like they had a good enough chance to win with Jake, and they they were hoping he would continue to progress. Exactly. And he just didn't. He just never ever stepped up and took an extra step, and you know made this his team and and was able to do it. Not that he played poorly, but he just some guys come in and they just they're as good as they are the first day they walk on campus is the last day they walk off campus, and they they just don't progress. And you know I, I think that's what they saw is just they didn't see the progression that they wanted to see, and and so consequently they felt at some point they got to go with the unknown and see what the upside is and obviously worked out well. Being around the team, did you ever pick up on that? Not really and it's not like, and this is no knock on Stansy, it may sound, but it's not like they had Sam Bradford or Colt McCoy waiting to play behind Jake either. I mean, they had another project that they just decided, like Mars said, with Jake we know what we've got, the upside we're there, he's not going to get any better we have to do something. Stansy, I think they took a risk that he would learn on the fly a little bit, which he's done, and I think he, they just knew he'd give them uh, another dimension being 6'4". I mean, that I can't remember the last time. I mean, Drew Tate was different. Drew Tate had an innate ability to find passing lanes, and he threw with a lot of touch. But even his last year, defenses had figured out. They went 2-6 and six his last year. I remember countless passes being knocked down at the line of scrimmage. I just think Stansy is who he is, and he had to go through those lumps at Michigan State and what have you to get to where he is now. And I still say one thing he needs to do, I, he needs to get stronger. I know it's lots of times when he gets hit in the pocket, his whole body just kind of collapses. He loses the football. That's one thing. He needs to spend some time there because he's there's not a lot of muscle to him right now. He's real skinny, and that's they got time to do that, though. But I, I think they just wanted to give Jake that chance, and I don't know if they felt guilty about putting him through last year, but he did take a lot for the team last year, so I think they wanted to be loyal to him as long as they could, but at some point, it's a business. you got to win. You know, you talk about the height. I mean, Brad Banks was not very tall, but he was exceptionally fast coming out of the pocket. I mean, he could make guys miss him, unlike Jake. Yeah, when Brad Banks faked like this, defenses had to do something. When Jake faked like that, it meant nothing, and that's just that Jake just did not have that dimension. Nathan Chandler couldn't run, but he was six seven, and he just and they had a good offensive line, and a lot of things worked to his advantage. But Jake just he just couldn't get it done at this level, and it's just one of those things where sometimes they do miss on recruits. Because in fairness for the Iowa coaches, almost everybody wanted Jake his senior year. The offensive line play was as good as it's been all season. Yeah, that's I, I would say so. I mean, I, they were as dominant as I've seen them this year, and they pretty much I don't think they've had a bad game this year. I mean, even in the losses, I mean, obviously Sean's had over 100 yards rushing. Every game they've been physical. Every game I'd say they surged more than the defense pushed them back. It's amazing. I mean, it's Sean Green obviously gets the stats and, you know, what straight 100-yard games is, you know, he ain't going to catch up with Archie Griffin, but it's uh, Griffin, but it's, I mean, it's uh, amazing. I mean, trust me, after about seven, eight weeks, people know that. And they want to stop. They want to be the team that stops it. And they're, they're lining up to try. And, you know, they just weren't able to do it. It pretty much never mattered how many people they put in the box. No. Watching that Minnesota game from the end zone with the TV shots from the end zone, some of those holes look like they were five yards wide. Yeah. You know, Iowa does a great job of, in that zone game, was identifying. You know, and you can block seven. I mean, tight end, five linemen, a fullback. Eighth guy's unblocked. That's Sean Green's guy. And they do a great job. And that's what I think happened early on is they were creating some stemming for us. And we had some penalties and timeouts that we had to blow because I think they were having trouble identifying is there seven in the box, is there eight in the box, should we run or pass check and trying to get their, you know, their who, who, who their identification on who they're zoning to and all that stuff. I think it caused Iowa some problems in the first, uh, you know, two or three possessions. But, you know, I mean, when they get the seven blocked 
and the eighth guy's coming down on Sean Green. Sean, that's Sean's guy, and he's going to make a miss, and he, that's what he does. You see, you know, I'm trying to think. There's like two or three games where the eighth guy's coming down in there. Purdue, one for one, you, may, you know, and he spins moves, and he's out, and then that's it. I mean, you're, once you get past that first level, you're out the gate, and, you know, I mean, that's just the, the beauty of the running game is they really can create problems for defense and when, they're, when they when they identify who they're blocking, they get on their guys, and, and I'm telling you, to watch them do it together and keep their pads square, the, the timing is impeccable with these guys when they're running that zone step and that stretch step, and, and then you throw the tight end in there, you get a three-man zone going, they sort it out, and, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but you get a hat on a hat when you get a great back, you're, you're going to run for a lot of yards, and I'm telling you, they've been doing about as good as any team I've seen in a long time. One of the funniest plays I saw all season, DJ Kaler, the 12th player, can be oh, pushed off right, by Green, yeah. too. Yeah, that was a big hit. <laughs> he bounced backwards. Yeah. Uh, we, we've talked a lot this year, but it, and again, I think nearly every facet of the team probably graded out with an A in the Minnesota game. It was another good performance by the receivers and tight ends, but, you know, I wonder how many of Sean Green's yards you can attribute this year to the really good downfield blocking by the wideouts and the tight ends. A lot. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times when you, you see him make that eighth guy miss, the ninth and tenth and eleventh guy are out of the equation because the receivers got him locked up. You know, they ran him off or they they blocked him up. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of that. So, and that's you know, new coach kind of coming in, emphasizing a lot of that stuff, and uh, you know, practicing it. I mean, it's it's got to be a mentality that you got to believe he's going to get there, and then you got to you, you got to base him up and, and take care of your job. But you know, running game is truly a team game, and um, you know, just talking about the receivers. I, one thing you would like to see out of your receiver is big plays. I mean, this is a big play game anymore, and you know, the 12, 15 play drives are gone. I just like to see our receivers make more big, tight, 70-yard touchdowns and, and, you know, reverses for 50-yard touchdowns and things like that. I mean, that's that, if, you, if you're going to pick on one thing this year, I think that's that would what be we it. need more than anything else is, is more explosive-type plays from our wide receivers. And I think that falls to recruiting. I think if that's one area where they've maybe struggled in during Kirk's regime is to get those fast, explosive playmakers, and that's easier said than done. It's not real easy to do. And, I mean, DJK showing some potential at that and what have you, and it'll be interesting to see if he can slip into that role next year because that is the one area where they're lucky they got such good play out of the tight ends this year because to me that's been huge. Even though Moyaki's missed half the season, I think it was the Penn State game, I remember when Sean made that six-yard touchdown run, Moyaki blocked his man almost into the student section and they've gotten great play out of the tight end position. Reisner's a pass catcher. They've got a little bit of everything from the tight end position this year and I think that's really, like Marv said, really helped a new starting quarterback. Yeah, Myers really looked like he came into his own. First team all Big Ten. I mean, after, after all of Moyaki's injury troubles, Myers was just spectacular. Mm-hmm. Defensively, could you have played a much better game? No, they shut him out. I mean, they couldn't run, and that was, no, the defense... I mean, from the very beginning, I don't remember Minnesota. They had, what, 134 yards? Total. Yeah, it was a complete mismatch. So, no, they, the defense did it about as well as they could. You know, great, great, great defense is... You know, you say who who played, who was a superstar? They all, all love it. You know, our coverage is better than it has been in the back end. I mean, it it may not seem like much, but you take away that five-yard hitch route, the offenses are limited. You know, they, they, and if you can cover up the different things, I mean, and then, you know, if you're a defensive lineman like King and you take two blockers now that frees up the the other defensive end to make the play, I mean, it's team defense at its finest. You know, guys just playing with massive effort. And from that standpoint, I think it's, you know, the front front seven and the back four, I mean, together, I mean, taking huge steps uh, this season. 
this was the first year in the last two or three that I remember, and I know, you, Pat, you've talked about you've never been completely convinced about the defensive backfield this year, but they played a lot more plays. The, the DBs were up close to the line of scrimmage instead of playing literally like last year, 10 yards off most of the time. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I thought they had physical play from the cornerbacks this year, and they've got both their cornerbacks are bigger than that. I mean, Bradley Fletcher's a legitimate 6'1 and a half, 6'2", and he's physical, and he's played that well, and he was a fifth-year senior who kind of evolved the way football players back in Marv's day in the mid, mid-80s when Iowa was a real strong program. A lot of guys, they'd redshirt. They'd barely play as freshmen. Special teams as sophomore. By the time they're fourth-year juniors and fifth-year seniors, they're good, steady players, and that's what Bradley Fletcher was this year. I still say if there's a weakness on this defense, it's covering receivers over the middle. I think the safeties are still a little susceptible to good tight ends and what have you, which we saw against Michigan State. That would be about the only weakness I can find with this defense. I still think they're a little vulnerable to good passing attacks, which fortunately for them, they won't probably see against South Carolina. Good point. And thank goodness Painter's not healthy. Oh, they would, have, they would have won that game, I think. I really yeah. do. I mean, and if, you, if you look at the teams, we got, you know, had some trouble with Northwestern. Obviously, Bichet, the quarterback, does a nice job with their offense, and, and they gave us some fits. So Pat's right. I mean, good passing attack. You know, some of that spread stuff can give us problems. So uh, they have some some advantages against us. But I mean, I, I think we, we really have even incorporated that bend but don't break mentality with these spreads. I mean, Coach Parker has historically done a good job of, of making a team one-dimensional and uh, having success from that standpoint. Moving on to special teams, it was good to see all three kickers do well in this game, especially Trent Mossbarker, who seemed to get a little bit of his confidence back. Yeah, and I was glad they used him. I thought that was neat the way they brought him, kind of eased him back in to the situation, because I'm sure as an 18-year-old kid, he was probably having some issues in his head after that Penn State game and what have you. He probably maybe felt a little betrayed, and, but they eased him back in there, and they've got him back going, and I thought everything was good on special teams, but their kickoff coverage was not very good. If you look back at that game, Minnesota almost broke two or three, and that's been uncharacteristic characteristic of this team this year. They've been good in that area, but other than that, like I said, I'm nitpicking a little bit, but they, they, with Ryan Donahue, they're going to probably have the best punter in the Big Ten over there. I mean, he's one of the best right now. I think the Michigan guy is probably a year ahead of him, but yeah, they've got stability at kicker and punter right now for the next couple of years, which is which is good. That's really advantageous for you. Yeah, and, and to get on Pat's point, I think the kickoff coverage, you never know after 21 or 28, you get up, you get up, they may yeah. be rotating some other guys in, but special teams make up about 15% of a game, and so we are blessed to have great kickers and punters. Uh, and then that is the one area that you want to lose a close game, mess up in special teams. And, you know, the coverage is an aspect of when you think about punts and kicks, there's a lot of real estate being covered in those plays. And if you can have good coverage teams, then you get a great chance, to, especially with our defense. If you can make them try to go 80 yards, 70 yards, you got a good chance to be successful with this defense. Hawkeyesmike.com. It's sports talk radio on the Internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. In our second segment, Marv and Pat look back at the 2008 regular season and think ahead a little bit about how the Hawks might look in 2009. This team seemed to me to demonstrate consistent improvement over the last half of the season. They just got better. They got seemed to get tougher. But it, I was really struck. That, I mean, Kirk has said many times this was one of his favorite teams to coach. And this team really seemed unlike maybe the last couple of years where you saw people be 
you know, they'd be high and then they'd be low and there'd be, you know, Jake would be slapping people on the side of the helmets. And it, whereas this team just seemed to be very level. They didn't get too down after the losses. They didn't get too high after the wins other than maybe Penn State where everybody was high. It's almost like they mirrored Kirk. Very even keel, not flashy, very workmanlike. Is that a fair assessment? I would agree with that. I think that's, that's if, if Kirk Ferentz has one strength that I think he brings to the head coach, that's it. I mean, when they were 1-10, and 10, he had the same mindset the year that they went 10-1. and 1. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, and football is an emotional roller coaster. I mean, the season is the season is a is a perfect example of what a game's like. I mean, the, the ups and downs, fumble here, a miskicked kicked here, a, a penalty, a drop pass. I mean, you can get caught up in an emotional roller coaster just in the course of a game, let alone the course of the way a season plays out. So, you know, you have to have a presence that says, you know what, you know, we're going to line up and play each snap as hard as we possibly can, get better each and every day. And that's Kirk. And that's, that's what he's done since day one here. And, you know, they have shown that they're good teams. They get better. Week seven, eight, nine. That's been the historical trend of an Iowa football team under Kirk Ferentz, and um, it's it's to his credit. Now, I'll be candid. I don't think the Big Ten is the big the hammer conference like it used to be. I mean, I think uh, you know Ohio State, Penn State. We'll, we'll see in the bowl games, but I mean, I'm not convinced that this is a powerhouse conference right now. I think there's a lot of decent teams, but I don't think there's any stalwarts in the Big Ten right now. I agree with Marvin. I've actually written that a few times. I say Kirk's greatest strength is he lives in the moment. He doesn't. Do well on good or bad. Everything's the next game, and we get tired of hearing it as reporters, but that's what he is. I, I marvel at the way that he never panics. He's just so sure of his principles and what he believes in, and he just thinks that if he keeps sticking to his guns, eventually things are going to work out. And So I remember thinking after that Michigan State game, he, it, I was amazed at how you couldn't tell if they won or lost, and that's just how he is, and he didn't panic, and he had no way of knowing they were going to win five of their next six games, but he stuck with what he believed in, and I think that's his greatest strength is the fact that he is so focused on the moment and he doesn't let his emotions kind of affect what's going on around him. Well, and you talked about Rick Stanzi. I mean, he's got what better guy does he have to model himself exactly. after than Kirk Ferentz. I mean, that, you don't want to look over and, you know, like Ron Zook's a powder keg, you know, and, and that's the way some coaches coach, but you want to look over there and when it's crunch time, you want to see, we got it, we're ready, you know, what do we got to do? Let's, what do we got to do to win the game and let's go do it. What I like too about Kirk is, I'm sure there's times where Stanzi looks over there and there's Ken O'Keefe, Kirk's, way, Kirk's so confident in what's going on offensively, he's way down at the end. We always joke about, we'll always say, hey, where's Kirk? And we're always way down. He's so far away from Ken, he's got so much trust. In his offense, to me, the quarterback looks at that, well, he does believe in us. A lot of head coaches meddle, and Kirk doesn't meddle. He goes out there and believes in the people around him, and it, it, it's worked more times than it's not. He's he's had some issues. I mean, the 2-6 and six season in 2006, and he'd be the first to say it was inexcusable, but he's righted the ship now. For this team to have a chance to win nine games this year, I to me, that's he's earned his money, so to speak. Do you think that, and you've seen it with other schools, it's not just Iowa with the off-field problems, and how that impacts even how the chemistry for lack of a better term, impacts the play on the field. I mean, you see it with Penn State and some of the other schools. Do you think that maybe three years ago or four years ago, Iowa, Penn State, and some other schools were maybe reaching for some recruits that they wouldn't have otherwise taken and that that may have led to some of those troubles? I'll be I'll be candid. I think part of the problem was is if you go back three or four years ago, we were, we were going to every January 1 bowl game. We went to three or four straight January 1 bowl games, and we started getting to every house in the country. We started getting all the five-star recruits, all the kids that thought they were Title Kong, you know, and, you, and that's when you got to be really good. 
it because, you know, you get the kid that comes in, if he's not starting in day one, he's frustrated, he thinks he's ready already, you know, and he's not. I mean, not many guys come on campus and they're ready to play in the Big Ten. Adrian Peterson might have been the one guy in Oklahoma that could, could have probably done that, but n- no one is. You got to come in here and work. You got to come here and get better. You got to come here and pound the rock, you know, which is Iowa's theme. And so they were getting into every house. And I, I think, you know, I personally think they got away from the Iowa kids, you know, and if you don't have, if you don't have Matt Kroll and Mitch King this year and some of the Iowa kids on this roster, you know, we're still good, but I don't think we're, you know, have that presence, have that type of team. And so I, it's great to see getting back to that mindset. I'm, I'm excited about the recruiting class they got coming in this year. They got eight or nine kids already signed up from the state of Iowa. And, you know, yeah, three or four of them are going to be bust. They're not going to pan out. But the other five or six, trust me, they will lay it on the line every single day and be glad of the fact that they're a Hawkeye. I agree. Thinking back on a season, what was your biggest disappointment with this team? And what was your most pleasant surprise? Biggest disappointment would just be their inability to win those very winnable games during that little stretch there. You just kind of hope that one of the, when you look back at it now, they're so close to 9-3, and three, so close to 10-2, and two, and that can mean so much. But, but I mean, the, the team had to grow, and my biggest surprise would have to be the running Sean Green in the offensive line without question. Yeah, I mean, it's a team that could be undefeated real easily, you know, but it's also a team that could be 5-6 and six pretty easily. You know, I mean, you know, Purdue game was close. Uh, some of these other games were pretty close. You know, but but the ability to just overcome and just to keep ramping it up and you know to finish the way they did the Penn State game and you know I've, I've talked to numerous people about it. I mean, everybody says it, you know, and you get cliche about how great it is to be a Hawk fan. But the greatest thing about this year is just the Hawk fans. I'm telling you. I mean, they, I mean my my kids go to the game and watch the storm the you know the field and the green green out and green day. I mean, it, it, you can't get any better. And there's a reason we're in the January bowl game. There's one reason we're in January and Bulgaria. One and a half. Half of it's Sean Green. The other is the fans. We're fifth in the Big Ten. I mean, at the end of the day, we're still fifth in the Big Ten. And if you put Sean Green on Northwestern, Iowa's still going to the... Yeah, yeah. Iowa's yeah, still going our to fans, the outback. You know? And so, you know, from that standpoint, I, you just got to... What can you say about the Iowa Hawk base? I mean, I mean, it's incredible. And it, it, that's why I still get emotional this day when the Hawks come swarming out because the fans truly appreciate, you know, great efforts on the field. And, uh, you know, so, so kudos to the big Hawk fans. I agree with them, even though some write me hate letters and say, that I should be fired. But you, I, you were closer than any of the rest of us on your preseason prediction. <laughs> I was what now? You were the closest on your preseason prediction. No, I am going you six. Seven, and, oh, I thought you had no, it seven and five. Six and six. Oh, six and six. I'm okay. going six and six. Well, I think that's what you and I are, Martha. Yeah. yeah. With the possibility of not that. Yeah. yeah, no, they, they, I did not. And when they were Owen, when they were three and three, I was starting to think five and seven. Wow, this is going to be an ugly offseason. But they stayed the course. After that Northwestern game, I had some crack in the show about the only week, the next week that Iowa will be favored to win a game is their bye week. Which is fine. Which is fine. <laughs> they don't need to be favored. They're better when they're not. How important was it for Ferentz to have this kind of year after the last two years for him as coach? I'm a coach, so I'm, I'm going to lay off that one. But, I mean, it was huge. I mean, it was huge. I mean, not going to a bowl game last year, if they had lined up, not going to a bowl game this year with some of the stuff. But it had been, it had been I'm not going to say disastrous, but it had been bad. It would have been bad. I mean, you would have had a lot of media people voicing what some fans think inside, I think. And the thing that changes everything with Kirk is the amount of money he makes, and he knows that. And But this year now, he's earned his money, and they've got everything going well. But had they had another bad, another subpar season, it would have just, it would have just just throwing more made the fire bigger and I think a lot of fans would have started really questioning things then they would have wanted some I think the thing you would have seen during the offseason is a big push to try to get some assistant coaches changed and now we're not going to have any of that which is fine because I don't like dealing with that but they could lose an assistant coach here or there to a head coaching job I've heard a couple names linked to a couple jobs right now so we'll see what was your sense of the Big Ten overall were there any teams that surprised you one way or the other 
I didn't think Penn State would be as, as explosive as they are, but no, the Big Ten was about as average as I thought it would be. I mean, Ohio State, I didn't think they'd go to Pryor as quickly as they did and really just threw their whole Big Ten quarterback to the side, but he wasn't very good. I just The Big Ten is going through a stage right It's just not very good. I, I, I agree. I mean, it's uh, we've, we're losing ground to the USC's, the Oklahoma's, the Big 12, uh, definitely, the, you know, the ACC, so or the SEC. So, But, but you know, I mean, it's it's cyclical, yeah. you know, and, and it, it, things will come back. But, uh, you know, obviously Michigan being down, I didn't think Michigan, I thought Michigan would transition a little bit better with the spread offense with some of the talent they had, but it looked like they really didn't have a lot of skilled players, which surprised me a little bit. But it'll be back. Obviously, prior playing as a young guy in Wisconsin, went with a young quarterback. Iowa's got a young quarterback. So, you know, and if you got a good quarterback, you got a chance to have a pretty good team. So I think the Big Ten has got a chance to, to regroup here in the next year, year and a half, and, and be a pretty good conference again. Iowa's got a moderately young team coming into next year. So how, you know, Kirk says, I think everybody believes this extra month of practice is really, really important when you have a younger team. How do you think it will impact this team thinking ahead to next season? And what do you think fans could reasonably expect for the kind of team they'll see on the field next year? Well, I think I, I, I saw part of his comments last night. And I thought it was true. It's just another 30 days that these guys can hang out with you know, Matt Kroll and Mitch King and, and, and see these guys, Sean Green, and see how these guys prepare, see how these guys practice, and then ultimately realize that's the template. You know, they had that template when Gallery was here, when Porter and Sobieski and Steinbach and Fred Russell, Brad Banks, they had that template in place. It's, we, we talk about it with student athletes, it's, you, you don't show up and get better. You show up and get after it and attack the weight room and attack the off season and attack the practice. That's how you get better. You don't just show up and I'm a hawk and I'll practice. You, it doesn't work. That you got to attack it. You got to, I mean, you got to physically put everything you have into it to get better. And and that's what this team has is that mindset. And you see it in the way they play, man. I mean, they, they contest every square inch on the football field, every snap. And if you do that every single day, you got a chance to be pretty good. Because everybody in college football, Division One, they do enough screening where, you know, the majority of the kids you bring on campus can play football. And if they have that mindset, they'll get better and they can play and help your team win. And, and you just, you can never take it for granted, ever. And I think that may be what happened with some of that, that highly touted class. I think some of those guys may have come in with a sense of entitlement, and they got here, and they're like, whoa, it doesn't work that way. And that may have disrupted the chemistry a little bit. I don't want to blame it all on that class because, I mean, there are some players that dealt with injuries in, in that class and what have you. But I agree with Marv. I think they're better when they have a chip on their shoulder. I think they're better when they turn a two-star into a five-star college player as opposed to a five-star coming in. And it just seems like when they get these big phenom recruits, more times than not, they don't work here. So I think Iowa is what it is, and I think they found their identity again this year and they can have a better team next year and it may not show on the record because the schedule is going to be brutal next year I mean it's not it's not going to be easy even going to Iowa State next year just moving playing certain teams on the road makes it so much harder where do you think most of the rebuilding is going to have to occur defensive tackle I mean I know Carl Klug and Daniel showed but they're going to really miss that constant pressure the constant double team King and Crowell made it a lot easier for Ballard and Claiborne to roam this year I don't think you're going to have that next year and I mean they're going to miss Bradley Fletcher and they, they're, they're losing their center but I think they can move Eubanks back to center I think the offensive line is going to be good again next year off offensively Sean Green obviously but like we said Jewel Hampton has almost 500 yards rushing and that's what this extra bowl practice I think will give them more time to get Jewel 
Jewel, I think there's going to be times where Sean's not going to be, he won't practice a lot during the bowl preparation, will he? Yeah, just, they'll just probably try to keep him real sharp and crisp. And that'll be Jewel, and that'll give uh, Jeff Brinson some time to work in there next year. But I, I think just the defensive tackles, they're going to have to address that. Is everybody around the table here agreeing that Sean Green's gone? Oh, yeah. I've been thinking that since midway through the season. Like I said, I think he'll go through the process and, and, and solicit the NFL and, and get an assessment of where he's going to come out. But I think it's going to be high enough for to take that $50,000 out of that sign and bonus, put it aside for college and finish your degree later. So, yep. If you had to project where he'd go? 12 through 20 in the first round. So that's pretty good money. Maybe 25. Maybe. Do you think he's definitely going to be a first rounder, you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if he doesn't go this year, he'll be 25 when he plays in yeah. his first NFL football game. Most NFL running backs are done at 28, aren't they? Yeah, especially with his style. I mean, yeah. he's not the Barry Sanders going to make guys miss. I mean, he's going to take a lot of shots. And, you know, remember Christian Okoye, Barry Ward, those exactly. guys that choose the big backs, they Cedric Benson. They, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you got to make guys miss. But Lindell White, USC, is, is somewhat Very similar sure, yeah. to. Betts, is he going to be like Betts at all, do you Liddell think? will make you miss. Liddell's got some shake. You know? mm-hmm. And he doesn't get hit a lot because he doesn't yeah. play all the yeah. time. I mean, you know, third down back and yeah. he catches the ball mostly so what about quarterback next year is it Stansy's job to lose you think Jake's likely to transfer what do you see going on there well, I mean, it's Stansy's job. Stansy would be the number one quarterback coming into spring ball if he doesn't get hurt in his game, knock on wood. But, uh, but you know, I mean, it, it, it's every year it should be open. I mean, if, you know, someone comes in that, you know, they got a good freshman in there, I think, a, retro, a true freshman that, you know, has got a big-time arm, I think. And so, I mean, they, they're going to have some talent. And, you know, that's what spring ball is for, is, is to make sure that he, he's getting better every day. You know, we talked about it. you got to attack it every single day. And if he thinks he's ready and he thinks he's, you know, as good as he needs to get, then someone else will be moving right on by him. So, but you know, it's his job to lose, definitely. But uh, it's a work in progress. You written about Jake. I think Jake, whatever he decides to do, more power to him because the way he acted, at least publicly, to me was a major part of this season. The fact that he accepted his role, at least on the surface, he did. And I think you would, had he been a real cancer behind the scenes, I think it would have shown in this team's performance. So I applaud him for the way he's handled this. And it wouldn't surprise me. I, I'd be more surprised if he stayed. Jake's a competitor. I could see Jake going to maybe play at a Division One AA school next year. Or I could see him going to play baseball somewhere. I, I just can't see him holding the clipboard for another year. But if he does, more power to him because there's worse things than being a backup Big Ten quarterback on full scholarship. If you had to pick a, if, if Jake's not in the picture, who would you think would be the likely backup? Based on message board chatter and Iowa loyalty, they're saying the kid from Keokuk's a little ahead of the Vandenberg. kid from Vandenberg. But I, I've also heard other people say that the kid from Illinois maybe has some higher upside. I don't know. That's tough to say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's practice time and it's, you know, it's hard to say. But spring ball will help decide a lot of that and it's good, good competition is a good thing. You mentioned earlier, Pat, about rumors, rumors have Phil Parker in the mix for a couple of mid-major Toledo head job and, jobs. And and Eric Campbell in the mix right. for the Eastern Michigan job. That's what I've heard. I haven't heard anything real concrete to say that they're on the verge of getting the job, but they're, they're, they are candidates or what have you. So it's going to be interesting. And as far as the quarterback situation, one thing, and, I, and Marv can relate to this, don't always believe the hype. There's certain players, it seems like fans want to play. Like I remember the Dan McGuire situation. Mm-hmm. Iowa fans wanted him because he was Dan McGuire, and eventually Chuck Hartley beat him out. And I know a lot of Iowa fans thought Hayden was nuts because he wasn't going with the big high-profile stud from California. They envisioned Dan McGuire playing and all these California kids coming here, but you were there every day. You saw why Hartley eventually beat him out, and it was consistency, and he did what he wanted him to do. So lots of times I think we'll hear things on message boards, but a lot of it's what people want us to hear, and it may not be exactly what's going on. What about, do you think we're going to have the normal spate of Norm Parker retiring rumors? Or has Kirk cut his job responsibilities back enough that Norm will hang around? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's. I, I hope he hangs around. I think he. I think he will. I mean, I, I'd be shocked. I mean, playing at a high level. He did seem to be more flexible this year than he has in the last couple of years. At least he was running different well, defensive they schemes. They blitzed a lot this year. I he, mean, he subbed a lot more than he has. Yeah, no, I. I think Norm has earned the right to coach for as long as he wants. He doesn't recruit on the road, which for a person his age makes a big difference. I sometimes do wonder if that hurts Iowa in recruiting to not have your very charismatic defensive coordinator out in living rooms when they get to meet him when they come on campus or what have you but it wouldn't surprise me if he retired it wouldn't surprise me if he came back I think with Norm it's just one one day we're going to hear he's going to be one of those guys we're going to see an announcement for sports information there probably won't be a press conference he'll just be I'm done thanks it was great being a hawk and god bless or something that's just how I think he'll go out Mm -hmm. I was wondering a second ago when you brought up talking about King being gone they won't Claiborne, the ends won't be able to roam as much, and then how he's blitzed more this year. Do you think next year, because the line won't be as a as strong as it was this year, that there will be more blitzing? That's hard to say. I don't know what they're thinking. I know some people want him to move Claiborne or one of those guys inside, but we asked Kirk about that. Kirk didn't seem too interested. He wants to keep those guys on the outside and what have you, but it's hard to say because, I mean, they got all their linebackers back. They're going to be very strong at linebacker. I I assume that makes it easier to blitz, but I think a lot of it's going to depend on what they have going on in their defensive backfield. I mean, who they ends up being their who ends up being their other they're gonna they have to replace a starting cornerback that's a big that's a big issue and so it'll be interesting to see because like Marv was saying they were able to bump and run and get up on the line of scrimmage a lot and that made a big difference this year so I don't know I I I don't know I don't anticipate them blitzing a lot because they just never do but I it's hard to say Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback help make us better Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. In our third segment, Marv and Pat preview the Iowa-South Carolina game in the Outback Bowl. Turning to the Outback Bowl, it seems that South Carolina had a rather disappointing season. Certainly didn't finish well. There's also some strange stuff going on with Spurrier's coaching staff, and they're going with the new starting quarterback for the bowl game. Yeah, I think it's a very winnable game. I mean, it's kind of weird talking about a January bowl game where the teams have combined to lose nine games, but to me, I was in a much better situation in this bowl game than if they were playing Missouri in the Alamo Bowl. I think this game fits their style. South Carolina's a physical defense. I think Iowa, it's going to be a, I see a low scoring 20 to 17 type game, but I think they're a much better situation playing this type of team. South Carolina's running game is very suspect. They've had inconsistency from their quarterbacks. They don't have a lot of playmakers like Spurrier had at Florida. Coaching at South Carolina is a lot different than coaching at Florida and I think you'll see that. Now, if they can stop Iowa from running the ball and put pressure on Stanzi, that gives them a chance, but nobody's been able to stop Iowa this year, so I don't see why a 7-5 and five South Carolina team is going to be able to do it. I don't see it happening either. Do you remember a team, a head coach, getting rid of a couple of assistants b- between his last game of the season and the bowl game and changing starting quarterbacks? I don't. Well, they've changed quarterbacks back and forth. They've kind of went to the Auburn might have done it last year, actually. It's happened a few times, yeah. but not much. How much will that disrupt that team, do you think? Depends how much of a fingerprint Furrier has on the offense. I mean, that would be the thing. I mean, it's just, you know, they, they, they played a tough conference. I mean, you know, five losses, probably three or four of them are pretty darn good football yeah, they, team. But, you know, it doesn't look to me like they played well. They're not playing well, you know, in those losses. And, and you know, I think Iowa's playing well right now. And I think it's, you know, it's going to be, I think we've said in a couple games that I really felt like Iowa's going to dominate this game. You know, I thought that against Purdue. I actually felt that against Minnesota a little bit. But Purdue, I was wrong. Minnesota was right. But, but I, I think it's a game that fits right into Iowa's hands and, and right into their strengths. And it could be like the game they went down there and got up to Florida pretty darn well. I, I see it as that type of game. Yeah. 
if Iowa's been vulnerable at all this year, again, it has been to a team that passes a little better. And this is odd for a Spurrier team that doesn't pass well. And nobody's run on us all year long. If, if they can't run the ball, they're going to be in for a long, long day. Yeah, this. I mean, I'm just looking at their stats right now. They're very, they're very average, and it's just not a typical Spurrier team. But it's like I said, it's South Carolina. They just don't have that great tradition. He hasn't been able to get those playmakers to come there that I think a lot of people thought he would. But I mean, his success. He won a national title 12 years ago. That's a lifetime in yeah, college. Yeah, 63. Football. You wonder if the game's beginning to pass him by a little bit. But I guess we shouldn't say that till after the bowl game. Yeah. But I mean, conversely, nobody's been able to stop Iowa's running game, and South Carolina's kind of in the middle of the pack in the. SEC and run defense. I will say they're probably going to be faster than most Iowa the teams Iowa's played this year on defense. So it'll be interesting to see if that speed disrupts things. But I just see Iowa controlling the line of scrimmage and winning a game like 21-14, 21-17. Do you think Marv Stanzi's got enough experience now that he won't be intimidated by a January 1st bowl game? Yeah, I think he's going to be fine. I mean, you got Sean Green standing like Sean Green standing right behind him. He's going to be just fine. You got the five guys in front of him, Myers at tight end position, he's going to be okay. Besides the Outback Bowl. What other bowl games stand out to you and where fans, where should fans get their money's worth? I'm really excited about the Notre Dame versus Hawaii. The, being the Notre Dame fan that I am, I'm just so happy about the six and no, I'm kidding. Um, obviously the BCS Bowl. I think Ohio State, Texas is going to be an interesting bowl because I, I think there's a lot of people probably think Texas is going to just roll over and that's not going to bode well for the Big Ten if that happens. But then I, I think my favorite bowl will be Penn, to see what Penn State can do versus USC. Yeah. That's a traditional Big Ten setup. It's only I think it's Paterno's second time out there in the Rose Bowl since he got here. I'm not totally convinced that USC, they, I could see them shutting down Penn State's offense. I really could. Same, same thing, USC, Penn State, Rose Bowl, and then uh, uh, Ohio State, Texas, you know, in the Fiesta, and then getting the can of worms. But, I mean, to, I, I just can't imagine going to be in Texas going, we beat both these teams in the Big 12 championship game and we're not playing and we don't get a chance. Unbelievable. And, and they're one guy from dropping a pick away you know, I mean, they had it. The guy tipped ball right in his gut and dropped it, and they're playing for a national championship. And, and you know, it's that's that would be heartbreaking. I can't even imagine being on that on that squad right now. Playoff. Hopefully, this will be the beginning of the end. And Oklahoma's great at making you think that they're invincible like they are now. Now you watch. It wouldn't surprise me if Florida pounds them in the bowl game. You know, you talk about championship teams. Oklahoma scored 60 points in five straight games. They've given up exactly 450 yards in all those games. The special teams is love Bob Stoops and love Oklahoma, but you know, neutral field. Uh, you know, I mean, I just, the BCS is, there's something wrong with it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not right. Can you imagine Bob Stoops, if he was in Texas's position right now, he'd be. He, he's right about the fact, though. That's, that was the rules. That's oh, the it way is. it shook out. It's flawed. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Was that all the BCS you wanted to talk yeah, about, Mark? Yeah. yeah, I'm bcs out. I've never liked <laughs> Take it. Take a C out of it and you got the BCS. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, the Big Ten actually came out pretty decently in these in these bowl allocations. I mean, they got Ohio State and the BCS, and that freed up the Like other. I said, the BCS is flawed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm hoping that, I'm hoping, geez, you know. I mean, you know, Utah, Boise State, 12-0. What more could they have done? You know, I mean, it's Especially Boise State. Yeah. They beat Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, they've proven that they can do it. The system is just so flawed right now, and I, I just get tired of non-football-related matters deciding what's going on in the field, the computers and this and that. Well, I Texas just, Tech. Just, you can make a case of Texas Tech and slide. They were seventh at the BCF. Yeah. I, we have friends up in Evanston, and they were up there in the Chicago media just assuming Northwestern was going to get the outback. No way. I, I mean, there's a chance that Iowa could have gotten the Capital One. I mean, like Marv said, it all, so much of it comes down to fans, and I never thought Northwestern. Northwestern has drawn 
Ron Weld or some of the bowl games they've gone to, I know they drew like 40,000 for the 96 World Bowl. Their problem is they just don't draw fans to their stadium on a consistent basis. Those bowl scouts see that. And they know with Iowa, you're going to get 20, 30,000 fans, even during these tough economic times, that are going to come down there and make that their yearly vacation. And it just, for a bowl, it doesn't get any better than that. So I never thought Northwestern would get taken over, would get picked over Iowa. It was sort of a mildly offensive uh, PR campaign they were running, arguing that they had the uh, a, a group of alumni with the highest per capita income. Oh, I'm the sure they probably uh, do. And none of that matters. None of their high IQs or there's... It, works for most things in life but when it comes to bowl selection it's just i mean all they want are people down there to spend money iowa versus south carolina what do you expect to see in this game what are your keys to the game and which team has the advantage in terms of coaching i i, I think i i think this is a wheelhouse game for iowa i really do i think it fits right into their style i think they're they're the they're the better team right now they're on the upswing it's a matter of getting back into rhythm and then taking care of business special teams wise and and with the turnovers and and, and if they do that uh, i see that the team is finishing up on a high note i think it's going to be a great great day for the iowa hawkeyes i agree if they have less than two turnovers i think they're going to win the game because i think they're going to control the clock control the line of scrimmage and i don't think south carolina has the kind of playmakers to offset what iowa can do i mean lots of times iowa can have these long drives and they play some of these teams from the south. You saw how LSU got back in that game back so quickly. I just don't see that from South Carolina. And I see Sean, 25, 30 carries for about 150 yards, and I see them winning like 21-17, a score like that. You both like Ference over Spurrier? Right now I do, yeah. yeah. But like his personality a lot more, too. Yeah. Well, you just gave your predictions. So you're picking Iowa. What is it? 21-17. Marv? I think Iowa wins by 20. I mean, I really I think it's I think it's a game that Iowa's going to get on them, and they're going to it's going to they're going to get rolling, and they're going to get the running game going, and just be out more physical and take full advantage of it. That wouldn't surprise me either. I'd be more surprised if South Carolina did that. Yeah, I think if anyone's going to win decisively, it's Iowa. And then I think this might be Kirk's. He had the big three years, 0-2-0-3-0-4, but you could argue that he's done as well this year, given all the circumstances. I think as far as his coaching jobs here at Iowa, if he can get nine victories out of this season, because if you look at those 0-2 and 0-4 teams, especially he had the All-Big Ten quarterback. This year he didn't even know who his first string quarterback was, and he's somehow gotten this team to hold together, given all. I mean, he's had a lot of stuff to work with. His son getting charged. There's so many things that have been able that could have torn this team apart, and he's been able to keep them together. Any other thoughts? Yeah, just good to see Iowa back in a bowl game, in a great bowl game. And, and like I said, I, I think it's a testament to the Iowa fans, and hopefully they pat themselves on the back and enjoy a fun field five, six days down in Tampa. I agree. This town's a lot more fun to live in when the football team's doing well. It really does kind of, it seems like it does kind of carry on through the whole year. I agree. When football's doing well here, this town seems it's got a little extra pep in its step. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that following every football game, you can be a part of the next show by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. 
Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. Thanks to our regular contributors all season long, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, as well as to Sean Patchett and Rob P. We hope you have enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast and all the shows this year, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.